0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: BetQL guest hotline. Sports betting has come to Maryland, so don't place that first bet without checking with BetQL. BetQL analyzes every game to find you the most profitable betting opportunities. Get three free days of BetQL access by downloading the BetQL app or visiting BetQL.com. David, now that I got that long sponsorship out of the read, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm hot and bothered, David. And you know how I get about the Washington Commanders. I'm passionate, right? And I'm just, yeah. I just don't all the way get it. Let's let's rewind and go back to Saturday's loss against San Francisco. Let's start here before we even get mm-hmm. ahead. Just just answer the question as I give it, right? Do you think Taylor Heineke against San Francisco in that first half? Could you name me five better Taylor Heineke performances since he got here in 2020?
2: No, in the first half, that was that was absolutely that was that was probably the best we've seen Taylor Heineke play. Like that was that was a legit, uh, really really good game from him. There there was a game earlier; I'm struggling to play who the opponent was. It, was. it was a Washington win, um, and I kind of said on our show, you know, despite some Taylor Heineke struggles the team well it was the Giants it was a a tie actually it wasn't even a win it was a tie against the Giants and (laughs) statistically one of the best games of his career but you know I I I made the uh, mistake according to some of pointing out that he had some struggles in that game as well and you know (laughs) people didn't like the the stat line but against San Francisco you know regardless of the stat line regardless of even the scoreboard that was legitimately probably the best Taylor United football that I, I remember seeing.
1: So when you take all that into consideration, why do you think ultimately Ron Rivera and company decided to send Heineke to the bench in favor of Carson Wentz Sunday against Cleveland?
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's you know it's rough because the two turnovers. Uh, you know, there's there's many people out there you know who who are tapped more you know, like inside the league and smarter than me and, and all of the stuff who who really kind of say those turnovers were really weren't even necessarily on. Taylor, either both of them or one of them or what have you. Um, and, and I think there is a case to be made there. I think at the end of the day, man, like it goes back to why Carson is here in the first place. And we right. talked about this in the offseason, talked about this during training camp. Like Taylor Heineke, you know, is, is just, he's a limited quarterback. His his physical skill is just limited and contained to 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 certain aspects of the game. And what it does for the opposing defense is it, it kind of makes it easier for them to really kind of control the flow of the game and, and really contain things outside of, you know, the occasional explosive play on blown coverage or something, there's really not a whole lot of threat downfield. And that's, you know, it's a, as unfortunate as, a as, as it is for people who love Taylor, that really just kind of is the case. So you bring in a guy like Carson because he can make throws all around the field. Any throw you need him to make, he can make. Now, does he make them consistently every time? No, he doesn't, which is the reason he's on his third team with his career. You know what I mean? You're not going to get a lot of quarterbacks on their third team because they make every throw every time. Those guys typically stick around with the team that drafted them. Right. So, uh, but you know, but at the end of the day, I think that's basically what it boils down to is this quarterback makes the Cleveland Browns defense, the San Francisco 49ers defense moving forward, anybody defend the entire field because he can throw it 60 yards downfield or he can throw it six yards downfield. Whereas Taylor, you're really not getting those 60 yarders unless you give them the 60 yarder.
1: Yeah, I, I completely get it, David. So now, now that you've answered that, when we go and look at Carson Wentz and what we expect him to do Sunday against Cleveland, like what are what are realistic, fair expectations uh, for Carson Wentz on this offense Sunday?
2: Uh, Brian Robinson, is <laughs> a
1: fair, realistic answer. <laughs> well, that's a good for answer. offense. I mean,
2: yeah, I, I mean, I think you know when. When you look at what the commanders have done well during the, the stream of winning that they did have that got them in the position to be playoff contenders is run the ball and play good defense. And then with Taylor Heineke, that's the game plan. And I think with Carson Wentz that needs to be the game plan. I think the mistake that any team could make right now is to put Carson in there for him to be the hero. And that's not even necessarily a dig at Carson per se, but you know he came in against San Francisco and he made some good plays. And, and I know the stat line looked really good for less than a full Full half of football, but also remember there's at least one throw. I mean, the one that visibly stands out that could have or should have probably even been intercepted. So this isn't a quarterback that's, you know, completely fluid and completely in rhythm. The offense has changed, I think, quite a bit since the last time he started a game for this team, and I think that matters. You know, um, uh, Brian Robinson was still trying to get up to speed when Carson got injured. Uh, you know, Jahan Dotson was missing some games. So this is, there's going to be a uh, kind of a, a, a readapting period. I think what the commander's coaching staff is possibly hoping for is the fact that you may have film of what Carson did before he was injured. You may have film of what Taylor did in this offense, this kind of revamped offense, but you don't have film of what Carson's going to do in this revamped offense. Right. And that kind of inherently gives them a little bit of an advantage. Now, I think that advantage disappears by halftime. Like <laughs> if that gives you a leg up, it's the first two quarters because then the Cleveland Browns coaching staff that gets paid, to do this job as well. They go in the locker room. They say, okay, here's what we're seeing that we weren't expecting. Here's what they're doing that we were expecting or maybe a little bit different. Boom, boom, boom. We put in our adjustments. We come out. You have a better prepared Brown defense in the second half. So this team needs to go put up 13, 14 points in the first half to really maximize that advantage, you know, for whatever it is. Um, but I think you're going to see this a similar ball control, clock control, ground game, short pass game. But the difference I think you're going to see is all of that now, can potentially set up play action, double moves, crossing route, yeah. rub route, mesh concepts to open up deep shots. And if you miss the deep shot, you miss it by overthrowing the deep shot, which you always want to do versus underthrowing it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up that point because when we talk about you know what differences there are between these two quarterbacks, we always point to the physical nature uh, of Carson Wentz and how live his arm is and his ability to push the ball vertically. When I look at the big differences between these two and where Carson could potentially take this offense to the next level is the red zone. Because we know in between the twenties, while Taylor has been the starter, it's been, you know, top half of the league offensively. I mean, they have been accumulating yards. It just isn't, you know, translating into points. How much better do you think the red zone offense is with Carson Wentz under center?
2: Um, that's another good question. And I wish I could give you a, a definitive answer on that. It, it, a lot of this is going to be kind of a wait and see, you know what I mean? Right. But I think you're going to get a lot more crossing patterns in, in the red zone. But you can also – I think you can hit some screens and some quick passes a little bit better. Uh, again, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to just the physical limitations of Taylor Heineke. If you have something set up in the red zone uh, as far as like maybe a quick hitter, maybe a rub, we saw Jahan Dotson call for OPI on a rub route, you know what I mean? If you get something like that set up with Taylor Heineke, we talked about this during training camp, right? Taylor Heineke almost has to predict the route open versus in versus throw the route open. Everybody right. knows about throwing routes open and anticipating coverage coming coming loose. But because Taylor's arm is so much less, you know, or so much weaker than a guy like Carson, he almost has to see that route open before it's actually even open. And that it's hard to ask a quarterback to really do that. You know what I mean? You almost have to be a psychopath to do that kind of a thing. <laughs> But with Carson, he can now anticipate the route open, you know, and, and I think what most Commander fans are going to remember with a little bit of nervousness is the Tennessee Titans game and, um, you know, a goal line interception. And, and that that's rough, you know what I mean? But you kind of hope that as he's been healing, he's also been going through some mental reps and kind of seeing things. So he may not have physically been out there with his guys, but he, he kind of has a better feel now for what Curtis is capable of in, in short yardage situations in the red zone. Terry, Jahan, you know, his tight end, his running back. So, He's been taking the mental reps. Obviously, they're getting practice reps all week. So it's just a matter of marrying those two things. So I think the opportunities are going to be there. It's just a matter of Carson trusting what he's been learning mentally, what he sees on the field, trusting that, trust his guy, get the ball out there because if he hesitates because of a lack of familiarity due to his being out, that's where you might see a Browns defender uh, take off a pass.
1: David, how much do you read into that opening series that he had against the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers? Obviously leads a touchdown drive. I uh, capped off with a 20 yarder to Curtis Samuel. Brilliant pass. Yeah. We saw them bring some pressure packages at him and he, he found the answers relatively quickly. How much do you take away from that? Uh,
2: not much. Cause again, it, it kind of goes back to kind of what we were just talking about as far as like the, the first half advantage. I think that, they will have against the Cleveland Browns because of the lack of familiarity with Carson in this offense. The Niners are essentially the same. I mean, the Niners, I'm sure they heard or, or saw all the stories that everybody saw about how they had a plan to put Carson in if they needed to and, and all those things. But at the end of the day, your starting quarterback, your starting quarterback. The work they did to prepare for potential Carson Wentz insertion is going to be markedly less than what they did to prepare for Taylor Heineke and and, you know, let's be honest, like it's like the old adage of a coach getting fired, right? Like the, the right. Denver Broncos, if they go out and win this weekend, it's going to surprise some people, but it's also not going to surprise a lot of people because their coach just got fired. And what do teams do when that happens? They go out there and they win. I don't, I can't understand. I don't understand that. necessarily call it. explain it. <laughs> they the call, rule of what?
1: They're called the wounded warrior effect.
2: <laughs> oh, the wounded warrior effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So. That that kind of spirit kind of happened. And again, and, and I'm not trying to nitpick too much, but again, there was a pass that probably should have been intercepted you know, right. by, by most defenders that Carson threw as well. So, you know, it, it, has, the, it has the opportunity to potentially turn uh, sideways on its, on its own anyway. So, you know, it, it's, the, the pass is beautiful, you know, but we know Carson can do that. Defenses know that Carson can do that. So we didn't really learn anything. It's just, again, is Carson going to, one, be, I think, most first and foremost, is he going to be confident enough? to let it rip when he needs to let it rip? Two, is he going to be comfortable enough to make the right decisions at the right time? And three, can they minimize the mistakes because, you know, just in, in a game of human error, mistakes are going to happen. It's just important that they happen on, I don't know, second and two, and you get third and two to try to make up for it versus, I don't know, a third and, and five in your own end, and now the, the opponent has the ball inside your own third
1: Joining us right now on the BetQL guest hotline is David Harrison, co-host of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and he's the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter, at dharrison82. I want to talk a little bit more about the quarterback before we move on here, David. When we were initially talking about why sticking with Taylor was the right move, mobility led those conversations and discussions, correct? We all know, yes, Carson has the better arm. Yes, Carson, you know, opens up and unlocks more of your offense, so to speak. But the down in, down out consistency from Taylor Heineke and not taking sacks and using his mobility to his advantage, keeping you on schedule, so to speak, was the more important thing. Why mm-hmm. should I trust Carson Wentz to all of a sudden be more mobile? Like I know Ron alluded to the fact that he's fresh and he hadn't been, he had been practicing for a while and he looked like he had fresh legs. Right. But you know as well as I do, Carson Wentz isn't getting more athletic over a two month period. There were times that he just simply didn't have good pocket awareness and his mental clock in the pocket was not in sync with the pass protection, is the way I can describe it. Right. Him being out for two months, you know, you don't get to improve on that, David, because you know there's only live yeah, bullet simulated. Right. That. So how do we how can yeah. we how should we expect him to be better at that?
2: Uh, I think I think he's going to be better. If he's going to be better at the ice foot that way, it's going to be because of scheme. Right. And I think that's where you know we we saw Scott Turner kind of open some things up, move the pocket a little bit more, do some misdirection a little bit more uh, with Taylor in there than he did with Carson. And those are things you know I don't think Carson is going to rip off a forty yard you know uh, quarterback draw anytime soon. <laughs> but he can still roll right the pocket. Yeah, you know he, he, but he can still roll the pocket. You know, I mean, if, if they if they get a stretch look out there and and you get the defense to bite and he comes out and there's there's no defensive end in front of him, he can roll out there and take advantage of a crossing of, of a route crossing in front of his face. You know, he I think he's still capable of doing that. And honestly, a lot of times when you see him kind of throw the ball on the sideline, either to stay warm while he was while he was backing up Taylor or. Uh, trying to keep warm while he's playing, a lot of the times his, his kind of practice throws are actually on the move. Like So this is a guy who definitely is, is making sure that he's trying to stay crisp on, on, on throwing on the move. So I think those types of elements in Scott Turner's offense will stick. I think you'll still see some of that pocket movement, some of that rollout ability. And for Carson, I think what, what it really does is it essentially eliminates almost like half the pass rush, right? When you, right. When you take a, a stretch with left and you play action, you roll back to the right, Honestly, almost, you know, outside of holding the ball, just too just stinking long, half that, that pass rush is essentially negated. And as long as the right side of your line or your running back tight end that's shipping or whoever responsible for those assignments isn't completely losing their guy, you should have a good three to five seconds most of the time when those things work uh, effectively. And that is where I think you'll see some of that that stuff kind of, kind of stick a little bit. And let's be honest, I mean, Taylor wasn't necessarily taking all the running routes that were available right. to him. He admitted as such. Uh, as, as well at one point and you know that's disappointing that's, that's something you would love to see him take advantage of more but so you're not really losing something you had a whole lot of but you're going to keep something that's going to keep him uh, from standing up in that pocket that, that offensive of line just they're, they're not going to give you much more than three seconds if they give you three seconds it just kind of is what it is what they're dealing with with all the injuries and then turnover. Um, so I think you know just like we, we spoke about before moving the pocket is the best way to kind of hide some of those uh, offensive uh,
1: uh, inadequacies Let's move over to the defensive side of the football. Obviously, they were without uh, Cameron Curl and really Benjamin St. Juice last week because he was nowhere near 100%. The status of those two guys heading into Sunday very much up in the air. Are you worried that this could potentially be a game for Cleveland's offense where they get right? Because make no mistake about it, yes, Deshaun Watson is still trying to work his way back, but they've got weapons in Donovan Peoples-Jones, in Mm -hmm. Joku, in in Amari Cooper.
2: Yes, I'm, I'm absolutely concerned about that, and, and I'm, I'm going to be more concerned, you know, the, the more they lose secondary members. Cam Curl is, is first and foremost, and you know Benjamin St. Juice I think was kind of a breakout player in the secondary um, before he got injured, um, and, and that's unfortunate. But I think Cam Curl really is, is the guy that makes the this, this secondary hum, you know. And if he's on the field, then you kind of have the sense that okay, everything can be okay. Like Cam's there, we can we can survive this. But if Cam's not there. You know that that becomes much less of a, of, a, of an of a, of a likelihood. Right. Benjamin St. Juice, I don't expect him to play. You know, I know he's yeah. questionable and, and and all those things. I don't expect to see him out there against the Browns. I do expect to see Cam out there. He was really confident earlier in the week. Uh, Ron said that he was confident, although he also admitted he's an eternal optimist. So take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I do think Cam will play. I don't think Benjamin St. Juice will play. Christian Holmes concerns me because that ankle comes up on Friday. That's that's never a good sign, and, and you know I know like that he didn't Holmes do that. Great on the last time report. we saw him. Yeah, he came oh up today on, on Friday with an ankle, so he's questionable. Yeah, so that concerns me. I know, like I said, last time we saw him get like a lot of DB reps, it, it wasn't that great. But he's a he's a key special teams guy. Percy Butler is a key special teams guy. Wow. I think we see Cam. I think we see Percy. I don't think we see Ben and Christian again, just because it popped up on Friday. That concerns me as well. And you know, Amari Cooper. Uh, his, his worst game, you know, in the NFC East against Washington was a 44 yard performance. I know that's not, you know, 44 yards isn't that great, but 44 yards as your worst performance against a right. division rival shows you just what he's kind of capable of. So the the fewer members of your secondary you have, the more he's going to eat. The more he eats, you mentioned the other weapons, and then of course if you've got a if you've got to secure the back end of your defense, that only makes your front end weaker. Which of course Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson. I expect to see a lot of read option with Deshaun because. This defense has been vulnerable to
1: at times. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, Washington dealing with some attrition in the secondary. One way to overcome that, David, is this pass rush teeing off and doing what they do best. Four first round picks up front. Yeah. We saw the return of Chase Young last weekend. We found out today he's going to get his first start in over a year uh, with James Smith Williams mm-hmm. being out due to a concussion. Uh, how do you expect this pass rush to impact this football game uh, when you look at their matchup with Cleveland's offensive line?
2: I mean, they can do some good things, you know. But I think the the priority has got to be stopping Nick Chubb, and the priority has got to be containing Deshaun Watson. And anytime your priority is is stacked that way, that makes it a little bit harder. You know, you can't just outside the obvious. You know, third and eight stuff like that, fine. You know, if the offense can get an early lead, then I'll put them in some some advantageous situations. But if you're talking zero zero seven nothing seven three type of a situation. I don't want to say you're hesitating necessarily, but I think, you know, you naturally kind of have to come off the ball just a little bit less aggressive to make sure that you're not blowing through a gap or blowing through an assignment and you end up giving up a 10, 15 yard run uh, right. behind it. And that's, that's, that's always going to be a little bit difficult. So I don't know, you know, my bold prediction, spoiler alert for, you know, this, I mean, honestly, oh. my, my Friday episode hasn't even published yet. So anybody who's going to listen to the Friday episode of Locked On Command, my bold prediction is that every first rounder on the defense is going to get a sack in this game. Mm. Um Steve. But that's a bold prediction, right? So that's, that's bold for a reason, and, and the reason is because it's not likely to happen. But if if every first round pick on that defense that is active on Sunday you can get a get a sack uh, on Deshaun Watson, then it gives them a much better chance, and it negates a little bit any loss you do have in the secondary.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you, man. Look, I'll put you on the hot seat again here. You said you you predict four sacks from all the first rounders combined. Do you well, think five. Jamin five? well? Wow. wow, I forgot all about Jamin. So, <laughs> do you ultimately, David? And I, I don't even know where I'm at with this thing yet. It's still look. It's still Friday. I got tomorrow to decide. But like ultimately, like, yeah. do you, do you think they get it done? I know you know that you've covered football for a while. Normally, the more desperate team wins, and you can make the argument that Washington has a lot more to play for, and Cleveland really. This is just extended preseason work for them for next year. Do you think right. they they bring enough dog on Sunday and get it done?
2: You know, you said it right there, though, and that to me that's what kind of sticks out about this matchup. I don't know that the Browns really care about playing spoiler to Washington's playoffs. <laughs> right. Like, I really don't know that that really matters. And Amari Cooper might be, like, the only guy that kind of cares just because of the history, but I mean – you know, it's not like he spent a decade with the Dallas Cowboys, Right. Or, you know what I mean? Like he was there for, for a minute, but you know, he wasn't drafted there. He didn't grow up in the NFL in this rivalry, stuff like that. So I don't know that the Browns really have that energy about him. Of, let's go out there and let's ruin Washington's playoff chances. Um, I think really it's just, it's more about just getting through the rest of the season, getting as comfortable as they can. Like if we can, if, if Amari and, and Deshaun can get into a rhythm, great. Yeah, but, but, I honestly, <laughs> but if they don't get into a rhythm, yeah. all right, we got the offseason The next year training camp, like we'll be okay. Right. Um, you know, my prediction, my official prediction is 24 21 Washington, mm. uh, mainly because I kind of stood on Jahan Dotson getting in rhythm with Taylor Heineke. he was kind of key to that version of the offense, getting over 20 points. Now with Carson, you unlock a little bit more potential, uh, scoring potential with this offense. We already know that he and Carson can get clicking. Again, the, I think the question is just how comfortable and confident Carson is and how quickly he can get to that point. But, I mean, even in week one of the season, we saw he and Jahan getting on the same page. And he's got more experience with Curtis, more experience with Terry. Jahan is still, is still doing his thing. Jahan is one touchdown away from eclipsing. Terry McLaurin's uh, rookie touchdown mark and tying. And if he does that, he'll tie the franchise mark. So I think this is a good opportunity to do all of those things. And we kind of have been looking for, like, this hero moment, right, mm-hmm. like in, in this team. And that's kind of why I feel the I said about the defense and the first-rounders, like, big players show up in big games for their team. So I want to see those first-rounders eat on the defense but on the offensive side. This is where Terry can continue to build his legacy. This is where Jahan can show everybody that he's no longer a rookie. Like He's, he's in his rookie season, but he's, he's a guy. He's, he's a dude that everybody needs to know about. And Carson, this is his chance to come out here and, and put his stamp on this team and come out here and get a win and you know, with some help from other guys, maybe clinch a playoff spot.
1: All right, David, man, I look forward to talking to you soon. What can we expect on the uh, next episode of the Locked on Commanders podcast?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're breaking down the injuries, you know, a little bit like we did here. I'm kind of diving deep into uh, just just how bad it could be. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but, <laughs> it's, you know, plan hope for the best, plan for the worst right. type, of a, type of a scenario. But then also, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit. I, I do a little bit of a number dive into why Brian Robinson Jr. is, is absolutely uh, the guy to watch on Sunday.
1: Hopefully, man, he is, like you mentioned, it doesn't really matter what the quarterbacks do. This Cleveland Browns defense 30th against the run of the National Football League. Washington's got a chance to get right. Appreciate you giving me some time, my man. Yes, sir. appreciate you. That is David Harrison. He's the co-host of the Locked On Commanders podcast and the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at DHarrison82. Always a good conversation with my man David. And make sure you check out the Locked On Commanders podcast on YouTube or wherever uh, you get your podcast. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, my key commanders – The three guys who must play their absolute best Sunday in order for the Washington Commanders to keep their playoff hopes alive against the Cleveland Browns. Don't go anywhere. All that and more next. This is the fan. The three Commanders that must play their absolute best Sunday in order for Washington to have a shot. Uh, at taking down the Cleveland Browns. For me, it's very simple. I don't like to get cute with these things. I I call it like I see it. My my first key commander is Carson Wentz. I mean, we spent pretty much the entirety of the show talking about him and the decision to go with him at quarterback Sunday. Sunday is put-up-or-shut-up time. He gets the opportunity to prove why this was a good decision. By Ron Rivera and company. He gets to justify going back to him. Because make no mistake about it, it wasn't some black and white concrete decision. This was a multi-layered situation that I felt like for the last three weeks, they have gone back and forth about. And Sunday, after two turnovers and three plays, Ron Rivera finally said enough was enough. And he gave the keys to the proverbial Ferrari, Carson Wentz. Can Carson Wentz keep this offense on schedule? We mentioned uh, with David, this Cleveland Browns defense, one of the worst in the National Football League, had stopping in the run. So he's going to have balance on his side. And if he could capitalize off the balance and this Washington offense could not commit the turnovers and have the silly penalties, if they can stay on schedule, I think Carson Wentz is in line to have a big day, right? This is a difficult matchup on the outside going against Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, but Washington's wide receiving core, this trio of Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, and Terry McLaurin, has proven to be one of the best in the entire National Football League, and I think, I think they continue to show that uh, on Sunday. But Carson Wentz must be efficient, must get the football out on time, and keep this offense on schedule. Carson Wentz, uh, my first of three key commanders. Key commanders here, the commanders that must play their best football Sunday in order for Washington to have a shot at beating the Cleveland Browns. My second guy also resides on this Washington commander's offense. He's in charge of protecting the blind spot of quarterback Carson Wentz. It is the NFL's Week 17 choice uh, for the community assist leader is Charles Leno, um, and he's also the commander's Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. Charles Leno must bounce back. right? Let's be honest. This is not about Linnell trying to rip Charles Leno or Linnell having some type of personal vendetta or gripe against Charles Leno. I just call it like I see it. The last three weeks, the two matchups against the Giants and then Sunday's game against San Francisco, Charles Leno has gotten his ass handed to him. Point blank. Now, granted, he had to go up against the top five pick and Kayvon Thibodeau twice against the Giants. And he also had to go up against the front runner, in my opinion, for Defensive Player of the Year in Joey Bosa. That being said, though, I need more out of Charles Leno because his inability to hold down the blind side has impacted the timing and crispness of this offense. It has prevented them from staying on schedule because of the quick pressures. It's made them have to keep a tight end to Chip or a running back in to Chip and help because of the pressure he's giving up which in turn changes the complexity of this offense. You know how different it is as a quarterback and a play caller when you've got max protection, so to speak, keeping seven guys in the block or six guys in the block? When that happens, you're only able to run two-man route combinations, and if those guys don't win and get open, you're screwed. There aren't a lot of answers. There aren't a lot of security blankets and checkdowns for the quarterback. Why does Washington have to play that style of ball now? Because Charles Leno, and look, Cornelius Lucas as well, has struggled up front. It gets no easier this week with Miles Garrett coming to town. Arguably a top three to top five pass rusher in this game. Charles Leno must bring his lunch pail on Sunday if this team wants to qualify for the postseason. It gets no easier for Charles Leno because guess what? If they handle their business this week against Garrett and Clowney, Next week, you got Demarcus Lawrence and Michael Parsons waiting on you. So, Charles Leno, my second key commander, giving out my key commanders the three commanders that must play their absolute best Sunday in order for Washington to have a shot at beating the Cleveland Browns. My third and final key commander is going to be Chase Young. We saw him make his debut last week, playing for the first time in over 13 months. He was active. He was physical. He was tough. He played with high football IQ understanding leverage did a lot of good things if this defense is going to take that next step and get over the edge and not just be a top five unit but maybe a top one or two unit you damn sure could use chase young giving you some pass rushing juice chase gonna get the start this Sunday uh, against the Browns because James Smith Williams is out dealing with a concussion so chase young on uh, my third and final key commander my key commander's The top three commanders that must play their absolute best Sunday against Cleveland in order for Washington to win. The quarterback, Carson Wentz, the left tackle, Charles Leno, and the premier edge rusher, Chase Young, all must ball in order to win Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. You can tweet me, your key commanders, uh, at N-E-L-L underscore B-T-P when we get back. Quick timeout, we'll pay some bills like I do every week. A little bit late this week. It's a Friday edition of Nell's Super 6-Pack, my top six teams across the National Football League. I warn you, this isn't based on the standings. This isn't based on what Joe and Jimmy think. This is Nell's Super 6-Pack, my top six teams across the National Football League. Next. Let me preface all this by saying this is not about the standings. This is not who Jimmy and Joe think are the best teams in the National Football League. It's mine. I'm selfish about this. It's no super six-pack. My top six teams in the National Football League. Let's go. Six. Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers. It's the best defense in the NFL since week 14. Justin Herbert is playing out of his mind right now. I call them Baby Jesus for a reason. If this group can hold on, they clinched their playoff berth this past weekend. If they can continue to get healthy and stay healthy, watch out. What wins in this league? Good quarterback play? And teams that can get after the quarterback. Guess what? I told you they got Baby Jesus under center with Justin Herbert. They get Nick Bosa back on Sunday as well. He's missed the last six weeks with an injury. He's coming back. Just in time for the stretch playoff run. The Chargers could end up being the 2022 version of the Cincinnati Bengals. All it takes is for one of these young studs at the quarterback position to get hot at the right time. I think the Chargers, as we sit here and get close to season's end, are going to be a team to be reckoned with. My number five team, and Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. It's everyone's flavor of the week, the team that gets licked more than an ice cream cone. The San Francisco 49ers, look. We got to see it up close and personal last Saturday when they took on the Commanders. Brock Purdy is legit. We wondered how he would fare against a premier defense. Although it was a shorthanded Washington Commanders defense, they are a top-five unit in the NFL. He handled himself as well as a young man could. Mr. Irrelevant, continuing to exceed expectations. He's made this 49ers team better, dare I say. Kyle Shanahan, though, really the orchestrator of this high-octane offense. He's constructed an offense that really any quarterback can thrive in. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo have success. He's a jag. Trey Lance, who played at South Dakota State, had a semblance of success. He's a jag. Brock Purdy, though, Mr. Irrelevant, Iowa State's own coming in and showing what it looks like when you get good play at the quarterback position in this Kyle Shanahan offense. And guess what? Debo Samuel, he's back this week. They get Debo back this weekend. They got Javon Kinlaw to anchor the middle of that defense. They got him back last week. I worry about the secondary, but that's really it. This defense clear-cut the best in the National Football League, and I think it's going to be the reason that we see the San Francisco 49ers playing deep into January. They're my number five team in L Super 6-pack. My number four team, and I'm going to be very specific when I talk about this group. They almost didn't make the damn list. I'll be completely honest with you. I'm out. On Josh Allen and the Bills, but they get one final stay in no Super Six Pack. They come in at number four. Depending on how this team looks against Cincinnati, they may not make my next Super Six Pack. I'm going to be honest. This is my PSA to the rest of America. And listen very closely when I say this to you. Josh Allen is broken, ladies and gentlemen. I truly believe that. And I have the numbers. I have the numbers to back it up. Dare I say, Everyone's preseason pick to make the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills, dare I say the Bills may have peaked too early? Josh Allen's record. Josh Allen's stats since beating Kansas City in week six. He's 26th in the NFL in passer rating. His 12 turnovers lead the National Football League since that time. He's barely completing 60% of his passes. He's ranked 30th in that category. He's averaging six yards per pass attempt. That's 21st in the NFL. He's got the, eight pass, the 15 passing touchdowns. That's tied for eighth. But outside of that, Josh Allen and this Bills offense have looked very pedestrian over the last month or so. And the thing that really concerns me is, look, Von Miller ain't coming back. This pass rush needs help because guess what? It's all cute and sexy in the regular season when you're running Josh Allen all over the place. But wait till the postseason comes and it's cold and he gets hit. This is the same team that was down at halftime to the Chicago Bears on Sunday. Are we supposed to buy Josh Allen and the Bills? I'm not. I can't continue to do so. They were my preseason pick in the AFC to make the Super Bowl. I walked that statement back almost a month ago. I still have them in my Super 6-pack because guess what? I still do believe Josh Allen is one of the premier quarterbacks in this league. My only concern is can he get out of his own damn way? The Bills— Coming at number four, in Nell Super Six-Pack. The third best team in the National Football League, according to Nell Super Six-Pack. This isn't standings. This isn't Jimmy and Joe's rankings. It's what Nell thinks. Number three is the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's really a two-word answer. Patrick Mahomes. That's it. That's all. Now, while I give this Chiefs offense credit, their defense, they're getting it done as well. They've got the fourth most sacks in the National Football League. Chris Jones playing at an all-pro level rookie first-round pick George Carl Loftus starting to come into his own. If they can stop people and rush the pass, and we know what Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are going to do, we know what Isaiah Pacheco is going to do for you, Juju Smith-Schuster starting to come along as well. They've got weapons on offense. It's all about whether or not their defense can get after the pass on a consistent basis. They're my number three team in Nell's Super Six Pack. Before we get to number two and number one, let's recap this thing. Nell's Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League, coming in at number six, Baby Jesus, Justin Herbert, and the the L.A. Chargers, excuse me. The defense is getting hot. They get Bosa back on Sunday. I'm riding with them. My fifth best team, Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, and the San Francisco 49ers. They get Debo Samuel back this week, and that defense is legit. My number four team, Enel's Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. Number four, Josh Allen and the Bills. I gave the warning earlier. If they look bad against Cincy, they might not make my list next week. Josh Allen's got to get it together, man. This Bills defense, they need some work as well. My number three team, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is out for blood. Everyone's talking about Jalen Hurts as MVP. People starting to throw Joe Burrow's name in that discussion. Patrick Mahomes, the last two weeks of the season, I think, is going to make this MVP discussion and race a lot more closer than we thought it would have been about a month ago. My number two team in Nell's Super Six Pack, my top six teams, in the National Football League, Joey, Cartier, Beansboro, and the Cincinnati Bengals. I've been on it for a while now. It's about four weeks straight they've been in my top three. I think this football team is built to win in January and February. Defensively, they got it figured out. They they got their pass rusher Trey Hendrickson back last week. He'll provide some juice for that group. Offensively, though, that's really where it starts and ends for me. There's a case to be made that Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in all the National Football League. He's playing like it. And it's much, much easier to play that way when you got the best trio in the NFL at receiver, and T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd. They're getting it done on the ground as well. Joe Mixon and Samar J.P. Ryan doing the damn thing. My only cause for concern with the Bengals is that last weekend in their win, they lost their right tackle, Lael Collins, for the season With an ACL injury. Isaiah Prince uh, set to get the start at right tackle for that group this week. We'll see if that offensive line can hold up. I think Joe Burrow gets it done. And that leaves a very clear cut number one in Nell's Super 6-pack. Yes, they lost last weekend to Dallas. Yes, Jalen Hurts is questionable to play this weekend against the Saints. But when you look at this roster, 1-53, through it's not even close. The Philadelphia Eagles have been for really the entirety of the season, the best group in the National Football League. It's the best offensive line in football. It's the best cornerback tandem in football. It's the best pass rush in football. They get it done. And I didn't even mention the star-studded duo that they've got a wide receiver right now. Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, the last five weeks, are top five in the NFL in every major statistical category at the wide receiver position. They are getting it done. Who wants to play this team in January and February? The thing I love the most about the Dirty Birds, they can beat you both ways. They can get sexy and throw it around the yard with Jalen Hurts, and he can have a 300-yard passing day. But when it gets ugly, when it gets cold outside and the trenches need you, they're my war baby of the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Sariani and company know how to win. Jalen Hurts last year made his playoff debut. He gets it done this year. In case you haven't been listening for the last month, the Philadelphia Eagles will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. It's just about who they're going to play. That's Nell's Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. Chargers, 49ers, Bills, Chiefs, Bengals, and Eagles. When we come back, speaking of NFL Week 17, we'll recap, excuse me, we'll preview the best games of NFL Week 17 next. This is the fam. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,
0: celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?